thought we would uh, do an interesting exercise this morning. Are you ready? Always scares you when I start this way, doesn't it? Yes, it's an interesting exercise. Uh, I'm going to give you some group projects. So I'm going to kind of divide you by sections here, right? And uh, give you some group projects. Let's start with this section over here. And uh, in the balcony, you can join this section. Um, I, I want you to begin to think about and process how we can eliminate injustice in our immigration programs in the United States. All right? All right? So I, I, you're going to think together, process together, uh, maybe pray together, right? The reality that, that there is injustice in our immigration system, right? So we have the Bible that tells us to be compassionate to the foreigners, and yet there's this reality of foreigners that are bombarding our borders. This got real really fast. I can see it in their eyes. They're like, you really want me to talk about this? Well, hang on. Don't start yet because I'm really not going to have you do it. But I want you to think about it, all right? All right? All right? So, so this section, uh, I had all the confidence in the world of those of you who always sit in this section. And, and here's what I want you to discuss, all right? You can, you can use some of this up here. Uh, racial injustice in our country. This country has been absolutely horrible to people of color. How do we reconcile that? How do we make that right? And, and then how do we eliminate prejudice in our country? Okay, so that, that's your project. All right. You're getting excited over here now, right? Like, what's our project going to be? I, I want you to address uh, gender injustice, right? To begin to address uh, what biblical manhood and womanhood is and apply that to our culture. And, and then even the reality of how to love someone in the midst of gender confusion, right? So... These sections, that's, that's your project. And, and you guys are just like, what could possibly be left, right? I, I want you to deal with religion injustice, right? Religious injustice. Taking away religious freedoms. How do, we, how do we begin to combat that? How do we deal with that? And what is justice in, in that? So for you, yours probably doesn't seem as big as theirs. It's just a pinhole in the dam now. But it's about to become, like, a lot worse. So religious injustice. Ready, set, go. Well, I, I, I really don't believe that this is the time uh, nor the place, right, to have group conversations about those things. In fact, some of you were scared as I was doing it, and some of you were very excited as I was doing that. I could see it in your faces, like, yeah, let me at him, right? I'm, I'll, I'll solve this. Let me give a piece of my mind. And others will be like, oh, this is church. Can we talk about those things here, right? And, 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 and I could see, because these things are complex things, aren't they? Like, they're, they're not easy answers to these things. There are complexities of it, and they're passionate as well. Like, if I really would let you guys loose, there'd be a bunch of people leaving this morning going, that was the worst Palm Sunday service I've ever... Did you hear that guy? And he even calls himself a Christian, right? You'd be... going Because these are passionate places. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness. I could, I'm not political, so I, I couldn't even talk about those things. I have news for you. That those aren't political issues. Politics has stuck their big old nose in all those issues. But those are biblical issues. Complex, passionate issues. And listen, maybe some of us don't even have to go to the big issues, to the big ticket items, to think about injustice. My guess is that just about everyone in this room, at some point or another, has come to a really hard place in life and you've looked to the heavens and you said, 
That's not, yeah, fair. Right? We have our personal injustices in the reality of our life. Perceived injustices. Our beef with God. And some of you are going, wow, it's Palm Sunday. He's intense. Why all this talk of injustice on Palm Sunday? Can't we just wave our palms and be happy? Well, the truth is, is that injustice is actually the main theme of Palm Sunday. Injustice is the main theme of Palm Sunday. And maybe put more positively, is that the theme of needing a king to solve injustice is all about Palm Sunday. And here's the good news. Here's my encouragement to you, for those of you who are still reeling, that we've actually talked about those things on a Sunday morning. Why we can wave our palms, why we should wave our palms, is because we have a king. We have a king, and a king who is working out injustice. If you weren't here last week, we started a mini-series through Easter, entitled, God is Making All Things New. And we're looking at the book of Revelation to see that, as Tim Keller says here, the resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but they have hope that comes from the future. It's a great quote. I want us to get it, right? I I really want you to get it. The reality is, is with the resurrection of Christ, something began, right, that we look forward to the reality of the time of revelation in the end times and that we live in that period of time. And that revelation not only gives us hope for the future, but it actually gives us hope today from the future. And because of that, I keep telling you, We live in a glorious day, a day in between the resurrection, the day that God began to make all things new, and the second coming, the day when he will put his final touches on making all things new. If you need an image to remember that reality, this is my image, right? I introduced you to this young boy last week. It is a perfect picture of the now and the not yet, right? So our man is definitely in a broken place, but he's dancing, right? This is a picture of the now and the not. This is the picture of the day in which we live. It's a picture of injustice with hope. The rub of this morning is that how can you say we live in a glorious day when there is so much injustice in this world, so much complexity so much that is not fair. The answer is in the king that we have that brings justice. So let's look at that king this morning. A king that is stomping out injustice. You ready for that? None of you have recovered from the opening segment, I can see. <laughs> First, let's look at a king on a donkey, right? John chapter 12, uh, Matthew read it earlier. The account of Palm Sunday from the book of John. And did you hear what they said as Jesus rode towards Jerusalem? Did you hear? What was the first word? We've sung it about a million times this morning. Hosanna. Hosanna. You know what Hosanna is in the Greek? 
Hosanna, because Hosanna is Greek. And it actually comes from a Hebrew word that sounds very much like it. So consistently through the scriptures, we have this word of praise, of adoration. What does it mean? It means God save us. Now listen, it's not I'm running from somebody, please save us. It is a, you have promised that you will save us. I know that you are coming to save us. And I am seeing you now with adoration and with praise. I'm saying, now is the time. Save us. That is what they shouted on that day as Jesus rode to Bethlehem. It's why they follow that with, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even who? The king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And why John, who, who would have been there on Palm Sunday, like the first one, says as a commentary that this is happening as a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. This says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It, it would have been an amazing moment in the history of Israel. This man who has taught the scriptures with authority, healed many, and even recently, get this, brought Lazarus back from the dead, has come to save us. He is our king. But save them from what? To save them from injustice. You see, the Jewish people that day, they had an immigration problem. <laughs> there was injustice in their city. They had a racial, ethnic problem. The Jews and Greeks absolutely hated each other. They had a gender problem. Uh, they had a religious problem. They had all the problems we have. And the reality is, is they're there because this king has come. And they say, save us. Save us from what? Save us from the injustice. Be our King. And as Jesus came to town, they thought, this is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is our king, and he is going to free us. Now, that didn't turn out exactly how they thought it would, did it? I mean, they thought Jesus was going to, like, go in and, and wreak havoc on the Roman government, right? Like, uh, let's turn this thing around. They thought Jesus was going to go in and take over, but actually Jesus went over to be given over. He gave himself up to death and death on a cross. But get this, that death on a cross. We'll get back to this next week in case, you know, you didn't realize this. Get this, he rose from the grave. John mentions in John chapter 12 that the disciples with him on Palm Sunday didn't even get this, right? His commentary is like, we were like waving our branches going, Jose, yeah, this is good. But we didn't really get what the heck was happening. In fact, we didn't get it till when? Till he rose from the dead. And then they couldn't stop talking about it. Because they knew that there was a promise in the resurrection of the reality of a king that would come to stomp out injustice. That is why I think John would have done a dance when he sees in the revelation of God the image of Revelation 19, 
verses 11 through 16. Yes, we finally have gotten to the text. Are you ready? Revelation chapter 19. If you have your Bibles this morning or your electronic devices, and there are Bibles in the pews this morning, I know, shudder the thought. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Because the king on a donkey is about to show up as a king on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 11. This is the inspired word of God as John records it and is revealed to him in this great vision. It says, then I, being John, saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, you could say in justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to uh, strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This, this day, that's a glorious day. This is a day that even we have yet to see. But listen, because we know of the king on the donkey, the king of the resurrection, we can know that this day is coming of a king on a white horse. And we get hope not only for the future, but we get hope from the future. The image is astounding, if you stop and think about it. Last week, we were astounded at the image of the New Jerusalem, and, and Hannah Hargis drew a picture of something that I described. As I said, your brain is about to blow up. This was her image of that. The, the holy city realization, right? Well, get your duct tape out, right? Get your duct tape, because this image is going to your mind as well. So, great image, Hannah. Thank you for helping visualize that reality. Let's look at it. There is a white horse. I don't think it's simply a white horse, but a radiant horse. A horse that as John looks at it is glowing in the glory of God. And it's marked in that glow, in its whiteness, in its purity, with certain victory wherever it goes. And we are told that the one riding the white horse has a name that we cannot know. I think it's funny. It tells us that it's a name that we cannot know. And in this text, he gives us three names. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a little bizarre. Go to the commentaries try to figure that one out. It's like, you, you can never know the name. Only he's going to know the name. But let me tell you three of them. And I think the reality is, is that John is going, like, you can't really know the fullness of the name. But he, here's three to get you started. That's how glorious this moment is. How glorious is the one who rides. And, and the one name that he's given is called Faithful and True. Who's calling him Faithful and True? Everyone around him. Everyone who now sees that everything in history, everything that has happened, everything that has happened from beginning to end has happened 
with certainty to bring about all that he has promised. This one who rides is faithful and true. In righteousness, in justice, he judges and makes war. Here in that, that he brings about justice in places of injustice. And he has promised to bring about true justice, and he will. He is called the word of God. We we see this in John chapter 1, right? The word of God made flesh. But now that flesh glorified in his heavenly being. It's a word that brings peace. It's a word that brings hope. It's a word that brings life. It's a word that brings justice. And thirdly, he's called the king of kings and the lord of lords. Get it? He is just not king, but he is king of every king that there will ever be in a kingdom. He is not just lord, but he is lord of the lords. That would rule and reign in all of history. It is written on his robe and on his thigh. He is indeed over all things. King of all things. Nothing happens that he is not made to happen. And for his purpose. He is not just king. But king of kings. He is not just lord. But lord of lords. And we get a hint of a description. Then of the one riding the white horse. It says in this text that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Pay attention to the word like in Revelation, right? John often says like. Why does he say like or it's as? It's because it's so glorious and so radiant and so amazing, right? That he can't find words to describe it. So he goes, ah, man, the closest thing that I can think of what that looks like is that his eyes are like flames of fire, The vision of our king is a king with a refining vision that where he looks, he is scooping the dross off of whatever it is and refining it to its perfect state, its true state. He is making all things right simply by his vision. He is making all things pure simply by his vision. He's removing the garbage of what he sees to bring out what is true. He burns away injustice to bring about that which is just. We are told in this text that on his head are many crowns. That seems to me at first to be a clumsy thing, like, how do I balance all the crowns? That's just the way my weird brain looks. But listen, that is not, he, he is not forced into some balancing act of the crowns. It is just that every crown that have ever been, any crown that has ever existed, it is swallowed in the reality of the crown that is upon his head. There are multiple diadems, multiple crowns upon him. It is making clear his ultimate kingship. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Friday we'll see more of that reality. But certainly we see in this text the reality of his own blood. The blood of this king shed for the forgiveness of our sins. His sacrifice made for us. And he's accompanied by an army all riding white horses. They join him in his victory for justice sake. Uh, There's been lots of ideas of who this army is. Some want to make the army his warrior angels, right? Not not the fluffy ones that play the harps, right? But the ones that are tough, brute, and big, right? And and they are riding into victory on these white horses. I kind of like the reality that uh, who is on those white horses are the saints that have gone before us that are coming back with him in the reality of this return, 
So just, I, I just have to do this. Uh, so just those of you that knew and loved Peggy Portal, right? Peggy Portal on a white horse. <laughs> Cowboy hat, ready to roll, right? I can see that, right? So those saints who have gone, right, riding on those white horses, following him into battle and to see, indeed, sure victory. It says in this text that he has a sharp sword that comes from his mouth. With his voice, at his word, all nations will come to naught. All kingdoms will bow in submission, and he will rule over all the earth. He will tread, it says in this text, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, allowing justice to be paid upon those who have majored in injustice. It is his moment, this king's moment, to say, vengeance is mine, and those who rule in sin will get what is coming to them. Justice will be done. If you keep reading this chapter, and I didn't keep reading it because it's a family show here on Sunday mornings, but if you keep reading this chapter, you will see continued images of victory for the sake of justice, victory over kings. In fact, um, at the beginning of just the next verses, an angel is calling for the birds to come. A mighty angel calling for the birds to come. Why are the birds coming? It's because he sees and knows that indeed, A victory is about to happen, and all of the kings of history will be destroyed. And he's calling for the birds, this is where it gets PG-17, to gorge on the dead bodies of those kings. It's certain victory. It is certain justice for injustice. As you go on in this text, you'll see victory over those marked with evil. Marks of the beast. It it says that there's this enemy who lines up for battle. I I see this picture, right? So here comes this king on the white horse with Peggy Portal falling close behind. All all of the saints falling. And and there's an enemy line that that forms. I think of Lord of the Rings or any of those old things right there. This is going to be a battle. But there's no battle in Revelation. It says they line up. But then it says they're destroyed. They're destroyed, and all of those who, who reign with evil are thrown into a lake of fire made of sulfur. It says in the next chapter that this king reigns in victory over Satan himself. As if the first line couldn't do anything, Satan lines up to fight one last battle with his minions, but again, there is no battle. Rather, it says fire from heaven comes down and ultimately casts him, Satan, and his minions into the lake of fire where it says they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Injustice gets what's coming to injustice. This is the king that rides the white horse. This is the king to come. This is the king that is making, listen, all things new. This is the king that eliminates injustice. And he is the king that we not only hope for, but whom we receive hope from. And in case you didn't know, because I've kept it a major secret so far, this king is Jesus. 
And no other one, no other name in heaven and earth can it be, this is King Jesus. The very king that rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it leads to one very important question this morning. Have you surrendered to him as your king? Have you surrendered to him as your king? Or as our friend S.N. Lockridge might say, and I won't read the whole thing. Those of you who know S.M. Lockridge and Jesus is my king, that's my king. If you don't know it, Google it tonight. Watch it on YouTube. It is amazing. S.M. Lockridge, an African-American pastor out of Chicago, and, and he just gives this amazing thing. So here's my worst imitation of S.M. Lockridge, right? Here's, here's the reality of, of, of leading to the question, right? Because he says, the Bible says that my king is the king of the Jews. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. And I'm wondering, do you know him? Is he king of your heart? John Bunyan wrote... A book called Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? You should. It should be mandatory reading for everybody on the face of the earth, right? Just telling you. Go find it, read it. It's good stuff. It's old, right? Older than me. John Bunyan, right? Pilgrim's Progress. I, I don't know if many of you know, but there's a volume two to Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read volume two? Ah, one or two. Good. Very nice. Good. There's a volume. That's like the best kept secret in the world, that there's actually a volume two. In volume two of John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, there is an image. So you're following not Christian, who is the main character in Volume 1, but Christiana, who is his wife, in Volume 2. And Christiana is uh, traveling with a dear companion, and her name is Mercy. And Christiana, in this one section of the story, comes and Mercy come to the interpreter's house. Now, the interpreter we saw in Volume 1 and Christiana and Mercy come in, and Christiana and Mercy are shown all the things that Christian was shown in volume one, except there's one additional thing. A, a window opens, and there is a man. His name is Muckraker. And he is at the bottom of a pit, and he's raking muck. His name is Muckraker, and his head is constantly down. His head is constantly down, and so his head is down, and he's just working in the midst of the straw, in the hay, in the muck. But what you can see that he has not yet seen is that above him is a celestial crown. And the interpreter says to Christiana, what do you think this is? He, she goes, I, I think he's human nature. Human nature keeps our heads down, and all we do is keep our minds in the muck all we do is keep our minds in injustice when above us, if only we would look up, is the celestial crown of a king that says, you are mine. You are mine. Listen, I, I don't want anyone to leave this service this morning as muckrake. 
Someone so caught in the injustices of this world or of your life that we fail to see the celestial crown being offered to us. And, and that crown is not limited to the injustices of the world that we live in. Sure, Jesus has come and is coming to eliminate immigration injustices. He's coming to eliminate racial injustices, to eliminate gender injustices, religious injustices, economic injustices, all the injustices that you can think of. He is coming with vengeance and power against all who cause injustice. And there is hope that comes from the future and Jesus' return of a day where there is no injustice. But there is a greater truth here. A greater injustice that Jesus has come and is coming to deal with. And it's personal. It's the injustice of your sin. You see, my heart, and I don't know a lot about all of you, but I know this about every one of you, your heart is sinful. That, that as God has indeed declared that we are to be perfect as he is perfect, that we are to be holy as he is holy, I fail at every moment of every day, of every year of my life, and so do you. We daily, moment by moment, are guilty of injustices of a holy God. We are guilty of injustices towards a perfect God. Deserving of nothing but what we see happening to those in Revelation 19 at the hands of the king on a white horse. But you know what? That same king, our king, this king has good news. The king who rode on a donkey didn't come to overthrow the Roman government, but rather to overthrow, guess what, your sin. <laughs> he didn't come to take on Caesar. He came to take on the realities of your failures. He came to Jerusalem to die on a cross and rise from the dead so that we might be made holy as he is holy, that all of our injustices toward him would be forgiven. And the king on a donkey gives us a picture of a king yet to come on a white horse, a king that will come to destroy all sin. A king that has come with his robe dipped in blood, blood that has been shed for our sins, a king that is faithful and true to keep his promise of salvation forever, one who is the word of God that says there is therefore, listen, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and offers us the celestial crown. Look up! Jesus is your king, offers you forgiveness for your injustices because he has died for those sins. Listen, he didn't just wave a magic wand to get rid of our sins. Jesus died because justice had to be paid. Our sin deserves death, but it is a death that he has taken. And he rose to reveal that we might live with him in eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my king. And I wonder if you know, 
Today you can. You can surrender to Jesus as king. Simply look up. Look up and see the crown that is yours. It is a glorious day. We live in the promise of Jesus, our King, that he will rid the world of injustice. But even greater, today is glorious because he has rid us of our injustice toward him. And he's given us the promise of his crown, of eternity. I, I don't know if you get into all the British royalty stuff, all the tabloid stuff. How many of you have watched The Crown on Netflix, right? I, we, we've watched it. Admit it. But I, I learned something this week from a good Brit theologian. His name is Derek Thomas. And um, he was making a point, and he used this illustration. He said, I don't know if all you Americans know this or not, but it, it, in England, there are very simple things, grocery store items, that are sealed with the seal of the queen. That you can, like, I don't know, pick up a bottle of ketchup. And if it's a bottle of ketchup that the queen likes, it will have the queen's seal. And the seal says, by appointment of, the majesty, of her majesty the queen. And if you love the queen, you're going to love this ketchup. Can I tell you good news this morning? That on our hearts, on my heart, on your heart, as we surrender to Jesus, there is this seal. There is this seal that says, by appointment of he who is the king. You are approved. You are loved. You are cherished. You are his. By appointment of his majesty, the king, you are sealed for all eternity. Ah. That you might know that a king on a donkey came to Jerusalem to die for you and rise again so that you might receive hope from the future, this future of Revelation 19, that a day is coming when that same king rides on a white horse to escort you to eternity. That in this glorious day, Palm Sunday 2021, you might say, Jesus, he's my king. Mm. 